0: It's not going to get me anywhere. It's just going to make me unhappy, it's just make me antagonistic to the person I'm envying. And it's of no value. And I can have that reaction, an envious reaction, but I don't have to have that continue, that in a response. The response being the reaction to my reaction. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I say, I don't want that. I don't need that. It's not good enough for me to be stuck in that. It doesn't help my life.
1: So the first reaction is subconscious, and the second one is... It's automatic.
0: Yeah. It's automatic, right. But the second one... Uh, right.
1: Over. Yeah. So you say, well, I just felt the wave of envy, but...
0: Now I recognize it. Go. I'm going to separate from mm-hmm. it. That's exactly how it, what happens, and the more you practice it, the more you're able to do it in terms of, but you really have to want not to be that way. You just can't kid yourself, because a lot of people live on envy. That's what feeds them, or jealousy or whatever. You know how many people commit horrendous things to jealousy. So. You have to have that awareness of what I would call its corroding quality. It corrodes your soul when you envy somebody so deeply that you say, I want that, I need that, I can't live without that. That's the extreme, and that just eats away at you.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the Tuesday People podcast. I am Mitch Album, the host, and that was the voice of Maury Schwartz, my old college professor, upon whom I based the book Tuesdays with Maury, which is also the basis of this podcast. Every week, we revisit some of the lessons that I learned sitting alongside my old college professor as he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease and share them with you in an updated fashion. Alongside, as always, is Lisa Goitsch, my friend and producer of the program. Lisa, nice to have you with us, as always.
2: Always nice to be here.
1: And that clip, as you heard, speaks to envy, speaks to uh, wanting things that other people have, and is sort of a launching point for what we're going to talk about today, which is quite timely with what's going on in the world, with the president of the United States having come down with coronavirus. Uh, just a few days before we are taping this podcast, and the reaction of some people in the country and around the world to his disease. Obviously, President Trump is a very polarizing figure, and there are people who absolutely love him, and there are people who absolutely hate him. And if you were joking around, you might say there are some people out there who wish him dead. Only in this particular case, when he contracted coronavirus— which can be deadly, some of that came out, no less than a former staffer for President Obama and Hillary Clinton actually tweeted out, I hope he dies, those exact words. There were many, many other people who had similar types of thoughts, some in joking fashion, some not, etc. And what you started to see people talking about was not Envy, because this isn't about envy. Nobody would envy uh, the president having coronavirus, but was something that is referred to as Schadenfreude, which is technically, if you, it's a German word, obviously, and it's it means the pleasure you get from someone, from another person's misfortune, so that when you're happy when someone else is doing badly, and it struck me that this is a condition. That is not reserved for when the President of the United States gets coronavirus, but can be in our lives in many, many daily walks of what we go through. There's someone at work that you don't particularly like, and they get in some kind of trouble. You're pleased. There's someone in your social circle who uh, you could envy. Uh, Perhaps they're skinnier than you or wealthier than you, and then they take a turn for the worst health-wise, or they lose their job, and you derive pleasure from that. This is why I sort of think you know some envy can be tied into it at certain points. So are we going through that here now as a country? And what do you do with that emotion? What do you do with it in this political realm where everybody seems to be on one side or the other? And what do you do with it in your private life? which is more important because politics come and go and presidents come and go and elections come and go, but how do you deal with it and try to quell it in your own personal life when it starts to arise? And we're happy to welcome to the program to talk about this uh, an expert in this area and other areas of psychology, Colin Wayne Leach, who is a professor at Barnard University, Columbia University, also uh, got his doctorate, I believe, at the University of Michigan. So since I went to Columbia and I live by the University of Michigan, uh, Professor Leach is a welcome guest here on Tuesday, people. Thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me. Tell us
1: about schadenfreude, first of all, as just a general condition, a general, uh, you know, psychological. Uh, persistence that people have at different times.
3: Um, well, it's um, it's it's an emotion and it is an unusual one. So, I mean, lucky lucky for us, it's it's a bit unusual and it's not that frequent that uh, yeah. that people feel it. But it's a kind of an unusual emotion because it puts us out of sync with people. We feel good when something bad happens to them, and um, the typical way it's used in German, Schadenfreude, and the way that I think is a sort of Uh, most precise way to define it is it's really about misfortunes that befall other people that are happenstance that are usually minor little falls and, and foibles that we take a little pleasure in. And yes, of course, if we dislike the person, if we envy them, that that can be the kind of psychological fuel for um, schadenfreude, but it's a kind of a quiet emotion. It's not, it's a little pleasure. It's a little smile. It's not, you know, uh, celebrating somebody's misfortune. And it's often not applied to serious misfortunes like life-threatening illnesses. So that's why I actually would not characterize most of what people are feeling about President Trump's illness as schadenfreude.
1: You actually say that there is a, another phrase for what's going on. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah. So, so Germans um, have another term um, called genugtum or um, other Germanic languages um, have similar terms, like in Dutch is hnupduning. And this is actually something that we used to say in English, but we don't say quite as much, but that is pleasure at seeing justice done. And so it's often in cases of what we call retributive justice. So when we think someone who is a wrongdoer or uh, suffers because of a God or the universe or fate or karma catching up with them, and so they're suffering for a reason, And I think that's what people who are feeling a little happy about what's happening to President Trump are feeling because they think somehow he's getting his just desserts because of his own handling of the COVID-19 virus and, and playing it down.
1: So if I'm understanding the difference correctly, schadenfreude would be is more about the individual you, meaning you just take a little delight in seeing somebody else have a stumble or a fall, but the, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce what you just said. <laughs> um, that's more about, uh, that person had it coming to them because of the things that they did. It's not so much about your feelings, your envy or your anything else, but, but sort of your sense of, of a balance or a social justice that, the Oh, I'm, I'm glad it, uh, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of that with, uh, people who break the law but get away with it and then finally something exactly. happens and they don't get away with it and they get a long jail sentence and that doesn't really exactly. have to do with you it has more to do with your sense of balance in the world is that accurate
3: that that's absolutely right and and so that all is clear in theory the problem is because envy and Schadenfreude and resentment are not things that people sort of most people own up to easily even if you are feeling schadenfreude and it's based in a you know, sense of envy or resentment or what have you, people don't usually go around saying, this is why I feel schadenfreude. And so often people use uh, justice or injustice or just desserts to cover their schadenfreude, and that's why the two are often confused.
1: Mm. It reminds me of the phrase, serves them right. Uh, you know, which, which I've always found this is something that is never said from a good place, even right. if even <laughs> even if it you know, makes you feel good. It just doesn't come from a, of a good place. So as as a uh, as a as a social and personality psychologist, as someone who teaches in all these areas, tell us a little bit about some of the dangers of these two forms of uh, projection with somebody else, particularly if they if, if, if they mean a little too much to you.
3: Right. Well, so so Schadenfreude in some ways is <clears throat> is clearer in this because I mean, obviously in Schadenfreude when we feel good when something hap- when something bad happens to another person and there isn't any real reason for it, it's not that they were a bad person, it's not that that that's a just punishment, we just kind of take a little pleasure in it. There is obviously something a little sadistic in that. It suggests something that our motives are not really, you know, pure or fair. And so, you know, the real dangers that, that we talk about in that research has shown is that it, it puts us against people. So we're more likely to feel Schadenfreude toward rivals, toward people who we compete with, toward people who we think are a little smug or arrogant or who we don't want to see do well. And so Schadenfreude is a symptom of this kind of competition, rivalry, dislike, and so therefore, that means um, when bad things happen to people who we don't like and we feel Schadenfreude, we're probably less likely to help them. We're less sympathetic toward them. And, and this can be about individuals, but this could also be about, about groups. And so it, you know, Schadenfreude is a marker of social relationships in trouble or damaged, conflict, um, opposition. Uh, and so it is really a marker of, of a failing or failed or poor um, social relationships.
1: Yeah, and I could see, it's fascinating when you said that about groups, I can see that coming into play in today's world where we become so polarized now Mm -hmm. that you could almost see that coming into play where, for example, someone feels that a minority group or a uh, or, you know, homosexual group or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, people who are, everybody's so identity politic now that we're naming right. the group and you feel like, you know, uh, oh, I'm glad they had a setback. I'm glad there was a ruling against them. I'm glad there was a, a, a shooting in that community or whatever, because you, you almost take pleasure in it because you don't have, you've lost your sensitivity. To what they're going through for whatever reason, and and now that becomes instead of just wishing the guy who sits in the decks next to you that he trips when he gets up, now you're 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 really talking about major social behaviors here.
3: Absolutely, absolutely, and um, it certainly is. Um, it can be one way that prejudice um, plays out, and certainly, uh, you know, a former collaborator of mine, Richard Smith, and his colleagues have shown. That exactly what you said that now Democrats and Republicans and other very polarized political parties that that identity has become so strong and so polarizing that now that it has entered into our politics, where before there might have been a sense of fairness or procedure, now people who are really identified. With political parties, you know, don't take a little pleasure in seeing the other other party or or an elected official or some or someone fall or fall prey to a scandal or where there might have been a little more decorum or sense of decency. Um, yes, you're right. The polarization and the strong identities do fuel that feeling toward our rivals.
1: Yeah, I see a lot of that type of emotion in the Me Too movement, where uh, you see people. Taking glee in powerful people being taken down uh, and i 'm not saying they didn 't deserve to be taken down i 'm not talking about any individual cases, but the yeah i hate I always hated that guy you know I always knew he was he was you know he, he was the kind of guy who would do something like that and there there 's almost that as you say sort of pleasure, uh, particularly in a culture that that elevates people like celebrities to these huge positions where envy starts to play into it. Obviously, they make more money than me. They're better looking than me. They get to fly in private jets. Ooh, oh, oh, you know, someone on their team accused them of, uh, of uh, sexual harassment and now they're going to lose everything. Ha 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 ha. You know, it's a little bit of like when we're five year olds, na 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 na, you know, uh, uh-huh. uh, and 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 a culture that creates celebrities would seem to be to be almost producing targets. For this shot and for the feeling, yeah?
3: Yeah, so this is a very this is a very particular type when it's when we can remove it from this sense of someone being punished rightly, when it's really about people who maybe have Flown too close to the sun, or mm-hmm. are are arrogant, or seem that they've gotten things that they don't deserve. This is what um, another colleague of mine, Norman Feather, calls the tall poppy syndrome, which is a whole kind of cultural phenomenon in Australia, but applies otherwise. People who stand out so much and always want to stand above others. It is true that 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 taking pleasure in their being knocked down a peg or two, we might say. Um, yeah, can also follow from this idea that they, they, they've gotten too much that they don't deserve or they've gotten too high or they're flaunting it over others and and taking pleasure in their in their fall or their stumbles is a little bit of a kind of a, a... We get a sense of kind of equalization, that they're kind of brought down to where they should be.
1: Right. So clearly, on one extreme, you've got something that begins just in personal envy, really may not be justified, and is, is kind of... Um, uh, not to be desired, uh, because mm-hmm. you're te- just taking pleasure in someone else's pain, and they don't even deserve it. And all the way on the other end of the spectrum, you've got you know the war criminal who has eluded right. uh, capture for all this time and is finally arrested on a on a uh, coincidence and is taken in and is now sentenced and and even sentenced to death. And you say you know, justice is finally being served. Those are pretty far extremes. uh, But you would say that they kind of come, you have threads connecting one another?
3: Yeah, because they're, they're all at one broad level, this, you know, pleasure in seeing bad things happen to other people. But, you know, as a psychologist, for me, the motives really matter. So if there is a genuine concern for justice being done, this is a very different thing psychologically and socially than I feel bad about myself or I'm a covetous person or I want what they want or it bothers me that they have so much and therefore I take pleasure in their fall psychologically and socially. And we could also say ethically, this is a very different thing. So they look the same on the surface in terms of they feel good about a bad thing happening to another person. But the psychology really matters and our orientation to the other person really matters psychologically to understand the person, but, but also ethically to understand what is driving the feeling in the first place.
1: Is there any time, uh, Professor Leach, that you would say that these emotions are healthy?
3: Um, yeah, you know, that argument has been made, actually, and I, and I have written a little bit about that, that, you know, there are times when feeling bad is the right and ethical thing to do, even if it um, feels awful and, <laughs> and we want to escape it. There are times when um, we need to, to feel bad. And I mean, you could also say, so some people argue, for example, that feeling this kind of legitimate, the feeling of justice being done um, is important because it's a way for us to mark fairness and to pay attention to the fact that fairness or justice or just punishment sometimes happens and that we should attend to it and feel good about it. Um, And so there is an argument also that this should be a shared feeling that when we have a common sense in our society, that people who are obvious wrongdoers um, face punishment or are controlled or who are stopped, that it is something that we should feel a little bit good about because this kind of affirms uh, our common values and our common sense of morality and ethics and that, that idea actually goes back to the to the sociologist Durkheim that you know feeling good about about punishment is a way to for a community to communicate what it cares about what 's right and what 's wrong, and that also communicates to the rest of us what we should and should not do right so there are some possible benefits yes
1: although uh, in so few cases can you ever find anything that Everyone is all on one side of. I guess if, if Earth was attacked by Martians and we somehow defeated <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> them, then we could all get together and agree. But I'm thinking of like even the Nuremberg trials, which, you know, mm-hmm. come to mind about, oh, finally justice to the Nazis and the people who mm-hmm. perpetuated the Holocaust. But you can still find some people who feel that, you know, on the, on the other side of that, who feel that they, they didn't do anything wrong. So it's never really 100% of the human community, probably more still developed by, you know, Western society or your particular country or your particular group. uh, But it's still more group than it is universal.
3: Um, No, sure. That's right. But I think there there is a power in once enough of us agree that it becomes what we call normative or it becomes clear that most people think this is right or this is wrong, that that has a power to regulate our behavior, to change how we think and how we feel. And it doesn't actually have to be 100% agreement, which I think you're right, is never achieved, but things gain, beliefs and practices gain a moral force when we think most people most of the time agree that this is right or this is wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, what is your take on these emotions that we've heard with regard to President Trump? Uh, and and some of the other people in his staff getting coronavirus. If you were, if someone came to you and said, "I'm all confused." I mean, I don't wish anybody harm. I don't want anybody to be sick. You know, I'm not that kind of person. I've never wanted anybody to die. But yet, I felt good when I, you know, uh, found that out that that the president had coronavirus, and now I'm tortured inside. What what do you say? Right.
3: To so I think here again, like you said, in this continuum, we need to distinguish. So people who. People who are wishing, you know, that that COVID-19 kills President Trump probably would have liked that to happen many other ways as well. And so COVID-19 is just a kind of convenient way for yeah. them <laughs> to get their wish. Oh. So, but certainly other people who I, and I, I have heard this other version, which is maybe a more generous version, which is that maybe getting sick himself will allow him to empathize with all the people who've been sick and the over 200,000 people who've been killed and the millions uh, who've suffered and help him understand how devastating um, the illness has been for individuals and for communities. And, and there, is, you know, there is an argument to be made there that personal experience with suffering can teach us to be more sympathetic uh, to other people's suffering. Um, and, and, and some people would argue that you have to suffer yourself or at least really clearly empathize with people who suffer to, to understand that. So I've heard that version of this, and you know I, I could kind of see that. But obviously, some people also think you know of it as a just punishment. You know that that suffering maybe is going to teach him a lesson. And yeah. certainly, many of us have this idea that some lessons are better learned if if we suffer. Um, and you know I, I'm not sure if that's right or wrong. It's probably not right, but uh, many of us believe that. Um, but I think, yeah, the people who just want to see him suffer to see him suffer, they felt that before he got sick, and they'll feel that after, right. and it's not really This is just
1: a, that. a legal way of it happening. <laughs> yeah.
3: Exactly. Uh, so that's the thing. It's a, there's a, now there's a kind of a shared way that seems okay to express that feeling that they had before.
1: Well, you mentioned expressing it, and, and of course, a lot of this comes through social media. A lot of these uh, uh-huh. hate, hateful messages are coming through social media. Um, mm-hmm. It is the way that so many people communicate with one another and with the world now. I'm wondering mm-hmm. how much social media and the way that you know people tweet or Instagram comments to one another has increased uh, the schadenfreude in our in our Western societies because it's so easy to. You know, uh, agree with somebody who takes joy in somebody else's pain. And now it doesn't even have to be an original idea. You can just hop on the bandwagon. Uh, And there's just so many ways to criticize. Even I look at like the. NBA Finals, which are going on. Right. There's just people who don't like LeBron James, even though yeah. it's pretty hard to argue that he's not one of the greatest players to ever pick up a basketball. But there's just people who say, I hate that guy. I want the, I want them to lose so badly. Uh, and, and so has social media made this schadenfreude phenomenon that much worse?
3: Um, I mean, this is a very, very important question, and I'm not sure we have a good answer to it yet empirically. But what I would say is, I'm not sure it's really changed people's behavior or changed their expressions of schadenfreude, but what it does is, like with everything else in our society, with politics and what have you, it does in some ways enable a kind of polarization that was maybe less true before. And so, for example, in the LeBron James example, if you felt that way about him, then you might you know, discuss it with your friends when you're watching a game or you discuss it around the water cooler at work, there were there a certain limited number of people who you could share that view with. And now what you can do is you can actually go out and find a much larger group of people who you would never have physical access to who might share your view or want to hear with you or engage with you. So certainly I think social media and other media can amplify these kind of feelings and Especially, again, this comes back to polarization, the more polarized, the more that our social media or other media consumption becomes echo chambers, the more we can be amplified and reinforced by other like-minded people um, that can reinforce our feeling and make us feel more safe right. and secure in expressing things that we might be more Concerned about expressing to a wider audience so now but, that 's always happening before, but it's ha- it 's in a more exaggerated way
1: right because of the medium, but there 's another element to it as well before if you just went and talked about it with your buddies at the at the uh, water cooler in nebraska you you were three thousand miles away. Uh, yeah. from the actual person. But now you can go on social media, LeBron James's account or anybody else's, and you can tweet right at them while maintaining yeah. perfect anonymity and cover. So you yeah. can you can tweet out messages. I mean, how many times have we seen name the social situation, na- name the political situation where people say I'm getting death threats? You know, I hope you yeah. die is hardly a new sentence anymore. The fact that it was wished upon a president uh, only got some headlines because of the circumstances. But we hear that all the time now, and people can do it directly or at least semi directly to your media account. If somebody wanted, you know, to go to, Professor Leach's account, if you've got social media, they can send you mm-hmm. a hateful message right away and, you know, a schadenfreude message or a Gnugtuk message or whatever it is mm-hmm. um, and, and feel like they got at you without having to worry about a bullet coming back because you can hide behind your anonymity on social media.
3: Yes. I mean, and I think when it, you know when I hear you say this, I, I think about some of the really um, problematic cases of this are now, of course, that this is this is now a particular fuel for bullying, for example, in schools where somebody, I don't know, somebody, you know, is in a cafeteria and there drops their tray and people enjoy that and have a shun for their moment. It can be it can be the video can be posted. And now this is shared. And lives on in a way where, if it actually had happened in real time, and there was no way to share and reinforce it, that person would have dealt with that immediate embarrassment, and it would have gone away. So, this is a yeah, this is a huge issue in in particular social circles, but especially now, this is a, a particular means of they call it cyberbullying, but especially when it's tied to actual when it when it can reinforce physical bullying. Um, yeah, it it can be dangerous, and it can certainly have real psychological consequences for people who feel yeah. ostracized uh, or, or ridiculed or humiliated by a social circle that matters yeah. to them.
1: In the, I know we we only have a, a minute or two left with you, but I wanted to ask you for people who don't want to feel this way, who who, re- who feel it but don't want it, how do you get rid of Schadenfreude? How how do you take that out of your life?
3: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, I mean, emotions are an interesting thing. We, we often think about them as things that are beyond our control, you know, where we sort of feel angry or frustrated or sad or happy. And there is a, a, an element of that. But, you know, all emotions um, also have to take account of what's appropriate, what's right and what sort of person we want to be. And I think Sean Freud is a classic example of that, that, you know, it doesn't happen that much. It's not that frequent of a feeling, except among certain people who really are predisposed to it. And that's because most of us, most of us are concerned that it's not a good feeling to have, that it's not a right feeling to have, and that it, that it opposes other people and puts us against other people. And I think, you know, even having it in a moment, but catching yourself and realizing this is not the kind of person I want to be, um, is really, really important. And this is a great point, actually, that um, the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre made about emotions. And emotions are not just things happen- that happen to us. They actually are who we are. They're our way of being. And, of course, we want to control that. And when we are, when we, when we are being a certain way, mean, uh, uh, criticizing, uh, putting down other people for no good reason, we are in control of that. That's an ethical choice that we can make um, to stop the feeling um, before it goes further, and that can become a habit right we can we can we can unlearn emotions we can we can we can form habits of, of being feeling more kindly and more generously toward each other
1: right I think if you say you say to yourself i 'm not going to feel better because somebody else feels badly i 'm not going to feel happier because someone else got sick or or got a setback and if I tell myself that I am then my you know, equation is kind of messed up here. You know, religious yeah. people will 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 often say, you know, God will take care of him. Let God worry about punishment. Uh-huh. You know, you worry about uh-huh. yourself. And and even if you're not religious, there seems to be some health in that that type of an approach. No,
3: certainly, and I think that's right. But I mean, the thing about the thing we know about Schadenfreude is it doesn't give you much of a boost. It doesn't kind of last long. It's usually kind of a passive feeling for precisely the reason that you're saying. In fact, that person's you know, fall or downfall or foible doesn't do anything for you ultimately. So it is a pretty, you know, a pretty ephemeral um, feeling for the most part. Except for those people, and there are some people like this that are different from the rest of us who are really looking for every opportunity. And and who use it to sort of make themselves feel good through the day. And those people are a little different. Now they've kind of made a habit of feeling good in that way. And then that can even, you know, turn into something that we might think of more as like a a kind of sadism.
1: Well, that's a topic for another show
3: (laughs) and an (laughs) uglier
1: one, but how timely and what a wonderful discussion. I I can't thank you enough, uh, Professor Leach, for for coming on with us. It was short notice when we were able to get a hold of you, but uh, it's it's so timely and very important for people, I think, to keep some good perspective in this moment. So thank you for, for sharing your wisdom on that. Thank you. It's been a pleasure having you. That's Professor Colin Wayne Leach, Uh, who is uh, an editor of Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, also a professor at Barnard and Columbia in New York City. Lisa, I I found that just so fascinating because...
2: Yeah, the uh, whole topic is...
1: The whole topic, and it's so timely for where we are now because there are so many people who just, as he said, that video example, I thought about that. I said, God, that's so right. You know, if you had a fall in the lunchroom when you were in, in college, mm-hmm. in, in high school, back when we were kids, it was an embarrassing moment, but, you know, oh, I'm so sorry I missed that. Oh, I should have been there missing. Man, I would have laughed at that if I missed it. Or whatever. But you did miss it. People did miss it. And all they could do is just sort of tell the story about it. And so, as he said, it was a, it was a momentary thing, but then it was gone. Now, that same video... Can live forever. I mean, you can like never yeah. get rid of it. You know, you can be thirty years past high school, and there's still a video of you doing something embarrassing in high school, and other people taking this pleasure in just watching it and then posting their little snarky comments.
2: Well, it's really terrible. I mean, you see a lot of uh, influencers these days who are committing suicide on the. You know that you hear about them—young people, seventeen, nineteen, early twenties. Because they get bullied so badly from these people that, first of all, love them, and then somebody will do something to make them hate them, then as a group, everybody jumps on them and causes them great pain, which is exactly what he was talking about. So we really are living in a world of, uh, you know schadenfreude gone wild you know well, be a and, new and, reality show it, yeah
1: and it's the pleasure <laughs> it's, that seems to come from kicking people when they're down and yes
2: people get a lot of that these days and it's really it's a hard world i would not want to be a teenager right now no way yeah. with the tools that we have to hurt people i think that it's uh it's a crazy dangerous world
1: but i played the cut from Maury at the beginning, intentionally, because I do think much of this begins with envy. It may not end up with envy. In other words, people who are uh, happy that President Trump got the coronavirus, I don't think necessarily envy him. But it begins with envy and thinking someone has something that, that I don't have. Or they have an advantage that I don't have. And then that kind of easily goes to well, the tall poppy syndrome, which he described. Well, they think they're so much better than, than we are. Or that guy thinks he's, he's so cool or he, he's so rich. And then that right. easily can go to our leaders leaders, not just political leaders, or social leaders, and TV show hosts, and and uh, athletes. And it's like, oh, well, who are these people to be telling me what to do? And and that's sort of rooted a little bit in envy because it's like you kind of wish you had that same power that they did. Right. And then you start to become highly critical of them. And then when a bad thing happens to them, you take a certain perverse pleasure in it. Uh, it may yeah. be that if LeBron James got injured, right when he was about to win the NBA finals and couldn't do it, there'd be a lot of people saying, oh, I'm happy. I'm happy he broke his leg, you know, which is right. a terrible thing to feel. And I felt when I, I, I saw some of these comments about President Trump getting coronavirus, I hope he dies and, you know, and many other things along the way. Saturday Night Live had one of their hosts saying, I, I hope he has a long recovery, you know, wishing him for to be sick for a long time. This, these are not good parts of human nature. No matter how much you may think President Trump has done an awful job, doesn't deserve to be elected again. All the rest of it's so easy. By the way, in a couple of weeks, you can just make that your point of view, and then you know you can have your wish. But you should never wish somebody disease. You know uh, that's that's just that's just awful. And when I said before, you know, religious people. Will frequently say, God will take care of the punishment. You don't need to take care of the punishment. You make sure you're right within yourself. And if you're religious, you know what I'm talking about. No matter what faith, there's some version of that. And if you're not, there's still something to be inspired by with that about, you know, the, you can say the universe, the universe right. will take care of punishment. But none of us should feel so exalted that we get to, ter- to determine what somebody else's punishment is should make us feel good. When someone gets sentenced to prison for the rest of their life, sentenced to be executed, you may say that you know justice is being served, but the humanity part of you should never gloat in the upcoming death of another human being or the lifetime incarceration of another human being. Better to say how tragic that this is, this is what this person came to, they were given the gift of life. They were given the opportunity to live in this world. And this is what they chose to do with it. And look at all the harm that they did. And yeah, maybe better that they're locked away. But what a waste. Right. What, what, what a tragedy.
2: Yeah, I think there are different ways to frame it. Do you know what I mean? Like right. he was saying, right. the difference between the, you know, with the guten, guten. Tarp, yeah, guten, <laughs> guten is, <done. laughs> There's a certain sense of justice being served that I think we can, you know, legitimately feel. Especially when you know something's done, somebody has done something really horrible, and I don't think it's wrong to then be pleased that they are put away forever to not hurt any other people. You know, and yes, in that but pleased case, pleased
1: and happy. You know, like yeah, you know, jumping up and down is, is are two different. Yeah, things. Yeah, well, I wouldn't
2: have a party, right? Yeah. yeah, some people do. You know, when somebody like Harvey Weinstein goes to jail. I think there were a lot of people who knew him and who had worked under his wrath for so long and right. who experienced him, as many of the women did. I have a girlfriend who was part of that lawsuit. and
1: Yeah, I think he's definitely see- a, a, case, a case of the uh, genugtung uh, yes. as opposed to the schadenfreude. Uh, yeah, and but- you see
2: the justice being served. But I don't think any of those people—I think there's a difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a different feeling you get. Right. Um,
1: well, that's why this is so timely, and I, I think it's uh, it was a good topic to talk about. I'm glad we had uh, Professor Leach with us. And by the way, uh, today is our 50th show. Uh, 50th the, show. Yeah, 50th show, the Tuesday podcast. So that means in a couple weeks we'll have our one-year anniversary. We're going to do something special for that. Uh, so we thank you for listening to us. Uh, if this is your 50th time listening to us or your first time listening to us, we appreciate it so very much. You can always go to we Tuesday People. Dot com on the web to find out more about our program to find out about discussion groups other topics to uh, learn about other shows and listen to them uh, they all hold up uh, and uh, we're grateful to have you with us today and I hope you enjoyed our special guest until next time when we all get together on behalf of Lisa Goitsch this is Mitch Album saying see you next Tuesday
2: thank you for listening to Tuesday People To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People.